Hi, friends, and welcome back to Health Simple Radio. This is episode number 37, and we are joined with Dr. Nadia Padaguana, who is a naturopathic doctor and a dietary educator at the IDM program, which focuses on utilizing fasting as a tool to help improve the health and wellness of their patients. Now, this episode is all about fasting, and we're going to really dive into why we live in this world where we eat so much and we eat all the time and how this can actually be detrimental to our body. On the flip side, we'll talk about why taking time away from eating, whether that's in between meals or actual intermittent or long-term fasting, why this can be so beneficial to our body, to ourselves, and help us to live a much healthier and longer life. Now, if you have in your mind right now that fasting is difficult and you can't go a few hours without eating, then you are the perfect person to listen to this episode. Now, before we get started, I'm super excited to announce that Health Simple has just launched our new ebook called So You Want to Eat Healthy. And what this is, is a simple guide to teach you how to eat real whole foods and get rid of the processed, man-made, unnatural foods that are so common in our society. So within this book, we'll give you explanations on all the controversial subjects with the nutrition so that grocery shopping will be easy for you. We'll give you a grocery list with all the different types of foods and categories within them. We'll give you a foods to avoid list so you can go through your kitchen, read the ingredient labels and throw out the foods that shouldn't be in your home. This book also covers the cooking side of things. So there's a whole section dedicated to teaching you how to cook certain foods so that you can optimize the nutrition that you get from them, how to store and prepare and buy the right types of foods, and then even how to determine the right serving sizes and put together a well-balanced plate of food. We cap it off with 12 recipes, three for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and dessert that are the most nutritious and delicious recipes that you can find. So I highly recommend checking out this book. You can find it at healthsimpleinfo.com slash eat dash healthy. It's also in the show notes below. So if you want to lose weight, improve energy, build a stronger immune system, or just simply feel better, then this ebook is for you. So check it out and enjoy the next episode. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to the Health Simple Show. I'm your host, Kyle Reedhead, and I interview health and wellness experts from around the world to help you live healthy, happy, and stress-free. Enjoy the next show. Nadia, welcome to the show, and why don't you give us a quick background of kind of who you are and what you're up to? All right. Thank you, Kyle. So as you said, my name is Nadia Etiguana. Um, I currently work as a dietary educator for the IDM program, um, intensive dietary management program. Our website is idmprogram.com. If you want to know a little bit more, I've been working, uh, with IDM for two and a half years and I work at this point exclusively and, uh, full time for IDM. I no longer practice as a naturopath, so I've been a naturopath for 15 years now. When I graduated from school in Toronto, I moved back to my home country, which is in Mozambique, Southern Africa, and there I worked as a nutritionist for 10 years. So my, uh, my, the bulk of my experience has been working with diet and nutrition, obviously. 
And then life, uh, both personally and professionally, led me to IBM um, a couple, a few years ago because of my own metabolic syndrome and health concerns. I was diagnosed with PCOS uh, probably close to 10 years ago and uh, suffered with a bit of uh, fertility struggles. And this is how I personally went into the low carb world. And eventually the low carb world led me to fasting and uh, Jason and Megan at IDM. So that's how I ended up. And I, uh, somewhere down the line, once I had successfully did have my two children, I did move back to Canada. Awesome. You get to travel and see a bit of the world. So that's always fun. Mm-hmm. Now, IDM, it's a, it's a program or I guess a, a protocol. Can you kind of talk more about that? What exactly it is that uh, you guys are doing at IDM? Absolutely. So the IDM program was founded by uh, Jason Fung and Megan Ramos uh, a few years ago. Jason Fung is a nephrologist in Scarborough, Ontario. Uh, He's a kidney specialist. And Megan Ramos, uh, her background, she's a researcher. And so they've worked together for about 16 years, maybe even a little longer than that at this point. And uh, a few years back, they started working together, uh, coming up with a plan for their... I think initially they're diabetic patients since, uh, of course, Jason sees mostly uh, kidney patients and many of them are diabetic. And so they started to really get into uh, the fasting world. Uh, And um, since then, they have done quite a bit of work in that field, you know, science-wise, research-wise, clinical. Um, They've been published in BMJ. Um, Jason has written two books. has had a lot of success uh, that way. But really, we have a program that helps people through intermittent fasting. So anywhere from time-restricted eating, meal timing, intermittent fasting, alternate day fasting, and some extended fasting in some cases. Awesome. And yeah, I've seen a lot of of Dr. Jason Fong and your group's work, and it's kind of helped me to learn more about fasting and intermittent fasting. So I think you guys are definitely helping a a lot of people and getting, you know, touching a wide array of people. So it's pretty awesome what you guys are doing. Let's kind of dive into the fasting a bit because it's a a very interesting topic. uh, And it's something that's getting quite popular as of late. Um, What is it about fasting that is so beneficial? Why is this an area that you know, we're really starting to take serious now. I think it's, um, I find it, and I, I will start by this, because I always start uh, by saying this about fasting. You know, it, it's, as you said, as of late, as, as if it's something modern or trendy, right? <laughs> but we've been fasting for so long as we've been human. Um, I think initially, not, not at, um, out of desire, but because of <laughs> people had to fast right? They, they were hunter-gatherers, so at times they fasted and at times they feasted. So it's in our physiology. It's in our human nature. Uh, we don't do well without proper amounts of uh, and, and, and a balanced equilibria between fasting and feasting. And I think this is one of the things that because of the current uh, maybe culture, food industry, you know, all the influences, the advertisements and everything else, we've gone so far away from what is uh, innate to us as humans. Uh, when it comes to fasting and feasting, we're basically, we, we've been told, we've been taught over the last, really only the last 50 years or so, and we as humans have existed for a lot longer than that. So mm-hmm. only for the last 50 years, we've been taught all of these crazy things that benefit no one except the food industry and maybe other industries. So we've been told, and, and you know this, Kyle, 
uh, because you've probably heard this since you were a kid, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Start your morning off with lots of sugars and then eat every hour or two after that. Um, and this is the, the way to, I guess, a healthy, right? And thin and healthy. So, which makes absolutely no sense, but we've been fed this to such an extent that doctors and the like will preach this as being actual science, but it's not, it's fake news, as they would say, fake news. <laughs> um, there's really no science behind this, right? So fasting is actually nothing new. Um, it's, it's been around forever and really fasting just means abstaining from mostly food for a period of time. And that could be fasting between meals. It could be fasting from one day to the next. So your regular overnight rest period. That's why breakfast is called break fast because you're supposed to break your fast. You're not supposed to eat all day long. You're supposed to have a fast and then break it at some point. And so it, it's really not new at all. It really is something that we need to maybe reestablish and not really, we're not inventing anything. Maybe, maybe just um, finding a proper balance. So for some people, that might just mean having proper meals and not eating all day long, not snacking, not grazing. Uh, for other people, it might mean to eliminate a meal uh, out of the day to, in order to um, reverse some damage, right? And, and we can talk a little bit about that. And for other people, they might benefit from actually doing some, more, uh, some longer fasts, more prolonged fasts for a number of reasons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it seems a lot of areas in health and in wellness, we we're kind of reverting back to, you know, the way that we eat, you know, the foods that we eat, you know, are a lot of processed and new foods that we've created. Now we're saying, let's go back to the old way and eat real food. Uh, you know, it's the same with fasting. We're just eating too much. So let's go back to not eating. <laughs> um, and we're seeing a lot of, you know, good health benefits from it. Now, what is it about, you know, we hear that, you got to eat food because you need nutrients. You need to get your vitamins. You need to get your minerals. You need all these things. So what is it about not eating that is then beneficial to our cells or beneficial to our, to our health? Well, that's exactly true. You do need a proper balance between fasting and feasting because you want to make sure that when you do eat, you're getting the right types of food. And for sure, real food is the way to go. There's, there's no other or better way to go. Uh, no, no packaged food is ever going to compete with uh, real food. Uh, but what it is about fasting is that it gives your body a chance to metabolize the things that you eat when you do eat so that you're not constantly accumulating. Our body produces hormones in response to food, namely insulin, which is something we talk quite a bit about. Our whole program revolves around insulin. Mm -hmm. um, and so insulin as a main hormone uh, has many functions. Uh, the two general functions of insulin are to either, it's a messenger because it's a hormone, so it tells your body what to do. So when insulin is high, it tells your body to store, to retain, to gain. And when insulin is low, it tells your body to do the opposite, which is release, burn, and lose, right? So if you're in retain, gain, and um, whatever the other one was that I told you all the time, what's going to happen? You're going to retain, gain, and um, store. <laughs> That's the third <laughs> one all the time. So is that not what's happening to a lot of our population, even children, right? We're constantly wondering why are kids, uh, why are they also uh, facing the same obesity crisis and even diabetes, right? You're getting children, I'm not talking about type 1 diabetes, which unfortunately is an autoimmune disease. I'm talking mm -hmm. about a metabolic uh, condition called type 2 diabetes, adult onset diabetes, 
that we're now seeing in children as young as eight years old, I've heard mm -hmm. uh, cases of. This should not be happening, but it is. And it's because insulin is so very high. And why is insulin so very high? Mostly because of how often we eat, but also the types of food that we now eat. So these are two main components. Mm -hmm. There are other factors that raise insulin, unfortunately, uh, outside of food, but food and, and meal timing. So how often you eat. So if I could uh, put things in order of importance when it comes to insulin production, it's how often we eat, what time we eat. So that's another big one because we're, we are eating a lot later than we used to or that we should as, as human beings. And the third thing is what we eat. So different foods will create a different insulin response. So if you can work on these three things, and that's what we do at IDM, then hopefully we can either keep people healthy or help people to uh, reverse their metabolic imbalance. Mm -hmm. And to paint a picture to, to people here too is, you know, you think about the, the lifestyle we live now, you wake up at whatever time it is, let's say it's 7 a.m., Typically, someone's you know either having a coffee that's full of sugar and some cream, so there's an insulin spike, or they're eating breakfast you know before they run off to work, and then you know you, you eat throughout the day, you get home, you have your dinner, and then we typically snack while we're watching TV, you know before we go to bed. So there's literally there's no window of of fasting except for when you're sleeping. The problem is we only sleep for like six seven hours on average these days, so it, it's really it's not enough. Can you talk about what, what is the length of time you actually need to sort of kick into, you know, fasting or intermittent fasting to start to get the benefits? How much time do you need uh, to actually fast for in order for some of these benefits to, to begin? That's a great question. But if you don't mind, Kyle, I'm going to go back to one of the things that you said, which is so true. We wake up at whatever time we eat uh, our meals, but in between meals, we snack mm -hmm. and then we snack, we graze into the evening, right? As we watch TV, as you correctly said, and I, and I want to go further and tell you that a lot of very unhealthy people wake up in the middle of the night to eat. Mm, that too, yeah. uh, I just spoke to somebody yesterday, one of my very dear clients who she's so insulin resistant, meaning that she produces so much insulin. She is uh, diabetic at this point, uh, type two diabetic, and she wakes up at two, three, four o'clock in the morning because she needs to eat because her insulin is so high. So it's, it's, it creates a snowball effect. The higher your insulin, the, the more of a desire to eat. So the higher the insulin you store, you retain, right? Um, and you gain. So that is just a bad picture right there. And the other thing is in between meals, when you don't even realize it, you're raising your insulin because People now, it's not just the meals and then the snacks, it's everything in between. It's the coffees, the flavored coffees, the flavored waters. It's just a constant insulin response all day long. So there isn't that proper balance of storing and burning and storing and burning. It's just storing, storing all the time. And people don't realize that because they think, well, it's just flavored water. It has no carbs. It has no sweeteners. But there is a lot of chemicals now in our food industry. You know, they've, they've developed a lot of chemicals in order to get people to consume constantly. Mm -hmm. And these products, these chemicals will raise your insulin and it will cause this constant desire to keep eating or storing their product. Okay. And this is a major issue that I, I don't think people realize. So now getting to your question, what's the proper amount of time? That really depends. It depends on if you're a child. If you're a woman that's pregnant or breastfeeding, if you are a healthy adult, if you're somebody with metabolic syndrome. Okay. 
uh, what point in the spectrum are you uh, as far as your metabolic syndrome and your insulin, uh, hypo, uh, your, the level of insulin in your blood, and that's called uh, insulinemia. So hypo meaning low insulin and hyperinsulinemia meaning high insulin, a, a high amount of insulin in the blood. It really depends. So depending on that, uh, your, you, your, your fasting period might be a little different. Uh, a healthy adult uh, or child uh, ideally should have maybe three main meals a day depending on the diet, right? If you're following a low-carb, high-fat diet like a ketogenic diet, you probably don't need to eat more than two meals a day. Um, they're pretty satiating, rich meals. I think historically, even where I'm from, the country that I'm from, people don't eat more than two meals a day um, mm -hmm. in the more traditional setting, right? Of course, in the cities, everybody eats the same as here. There's KFCs and McDonald's and everything everywhere, pizza places. But in the more traditional rural setting, people eat two meals a day. They wake up early in the morning, they go out to farm, um, they don't have a first meal until sometime midday. They've already worked a good six hours by then. Um, and then they finish uh, farming. They go home and they have one meal sometime in early, uh, early evening. And then they go to sleep. Traditionally, uh, rural farm families uh, tended to eat this way, I think. Some, some uh, countries, um, like Portugal, where I am right now, my research has shown me that historically, people used to have a very big meal in the morning go out to farm and then have another big meal with their families at the end of the day and very early meal. And then people would go to sleep because they would get up very early and farm again. So traditionally, this is how people have eaten. Of course, we are so very far away from that right now. But so the idea I think is still that we're trying to instill in people generally is to focus on main meals and avoid snacking. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And so one of the, one of the main mechanisms that, um, I, I read a lot about Jason Fung talking is, is autophagy. And this is something that, that is accelerated or begins with fasting. Can you sort of talk about what exactly that is? Because you can't really talk about fasting without it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And then we'll dive a little bit more into it. But can you explain what that is? So I don't think that we know as, as much about autophagy as maybe you'd, you, you would like us to know. <laughs> so what we know is that any nutrients okay, is going to inhibit autophagy. And what is autophagy? Autophagy is sort of like a recycling uh, uh, mechanism that's going on in your body where you recycle old proteins and you create new ones. So it's like an anti-aging, anti-cancer um, sort of reset button in your, in your body. And we know a little bit about it because there was a Japanese guy that won the Nobel Prize uh, I believe it was 2016. I don't know how to say his name, so I won't even try. Uh, but anyway, so he he was the one that uh, came out and um, sort of made the rest of the world become aware of the fact that fasting can actually trigger autophagy. So this this mechanism that we all have the ability to, our body has the ability to to go into autophagy. Now, how we go into it, it seems, uh, and how how long does it take to go into autophagy? We don't know. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what we do know is that most people would go into autophagy if they were uh, nutrient depleted for a while. So from the information that we know, basically, if you're somebody who uh, follows a maybe lo lower carb diet, um, so all nutrients will inhibit autophagy, we think. Okay. But, but uh, it seems like glucose and um, proteins, amino acids. 
but likely all of them, including fat. And, and so even people that are following mostly a ketogenic diet, they would have to be totally nutrient uh, depleted in order to go into autophagy. But is it 16 hours into a fast? Is it 32 hours into a fast? Is it 40, you know, 48? Is it uh, 72? These are a lot of common fasting periods that people do um, on their own or, or with our program, but we're not really sure. But somewhere in there, it's likely that you go into autophagy, especially if your body has burnt through all your glycogen stores and uh, you're, you're, you fast more consistently. If you're in a more ketogenic state, it's probably more likely, meaning that if your insulin is a lot lower and your ketones are a lot higher, it's, it's probably, it's more likely that you're going to go into autophagy quicker. So it would be nice to think that all of us go into autophagy overnight during our fasting period, but it's probably unlikely. Really? Okay. I didn't know that. Now, I mean, we often hear the, the 16, eight rule. So 16 hours of not eating eight hours of eating. Um, from what I've read, and it's probably theoretical, I guess, is that this is what sort of allows that autophagy to begin. Uh, so what you're saying is we don't really know yet. We, we can hope that no, it does. No. But this and way, I know, it's very I, to the individual. I think that's a lot of wishful thinking, thinking that you're going to go into autophagy at 16, eight. Yeah. It's, it's probably not the case. Maybe <laughs> so what, some people could. Yeah, maybe some people. Okay. So if not autophagy, then, um, you know, intermittent fasting is, has become very popular. And or as you said, I mean, it's something we've done for forever. <laughs> right. But so, so if not autophagy, what, what are the other benefits? I mean, I guess the lower insulin, as you, as you suggested right. already, uh, are there other mechanisms then that uh, we can see either immediately or more long-term from starting to do some more longer term intermittent fasting? Well, there's definitely that's the, that's the benefit. It's a lower insulin, higher energy, fat burning, ketogenic state that you're trying to get into, right? Or most people are trying to get into even people that don't have metabolic syndrome. There's so many people in the fitness world, for example, that are now trying to take advantage of this fat fueling, uh, for, um, muscle building benefits. So there's so many benefits to, to fasting. Um, a lot of athletes have come out and said that they work out in a fasted state, which is not crazy. I mean, people have been doing this all the time, except before they wouldn't, they just didn't have to say it. Right. But now it's like, because of all maybe the products out there for working out and these type of drinks and these types of shakes and this and that. Um, but really it seems like there's a lot more benefit to, uh, exercising in a fasted state. Um, you're likely to build more muscle that way. Well, and it makes sense too. I mean, if we think about why we fasted back in the day, it was because we just couldn't find, you know, we couldn't hunt anything or we couldn't find any plants. So, you know, we had to, if, if we got less productive or performed worse when we were fasted, we probably wouldn't be a species anymore, right? We, we wouldn't have lasted this long. So we actually, you know, can improve our performance and improve our cognitive function and, and uh, you know, when we're in a fasted state because that's what allows us to actually catch that animal or to, you know, this go wherever it. we need to to find the plant. So it, it makes sense if you think about it um, historically. Yeah. You've totally, you've, it's like ding, ding, you've totally nailed it because even historically, of course, we're looking for the science and this is where Jason Fung comes in and Megan Ramos. Um, you know, Jason's books and their, and their research articles and, and uh, everything that they write does uh, try as, as much as possible to bring out the science behind all of this. But if we look back and 
and and just from um uh, exactly what you said it's only it doesn't make any sense imagine that you were and now we're going to go back you know thousands of years to and I, I i i hate to use the paleolithic or whatever I, I don't really care what 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 phase or what people were eating that's not really the point the point is at some point in our human development uh, food was scarce as mm -hmm. opposed to now right which is it's abundant now but it, it wasn't and so people had to keep hunting and gathering and for long periods of time and they they wouldn't have any availability so it, if people got weaker as they fasted and they would fall over and and their kids would not survive right so the, those genes wouldn't have been passed on so mm -hmm. at least for a period of time of course there was a limit to how long you can fast but at least for a period of time it seems that people get stronger and stronger they build more and more muscle and clearly and this we see clinically we don't need studies for this uh, as people fast a little longer their energy level goes up and up and up they don't get more tired they get a much higher energy state, a higher ketone state, which uh, looks like a higher energy state. So much so that when people go into a bit of a longer fasting period, uh, it's voluntary now, different than it was before, they have a hard time sleeping sometimes because their energy is so high. So we have to work on that too. Wow. They're very productive, but they have a hard time sleeping. Well, I was just going to say, you know, when I, anytime I intermittent fast and I do it pretty much every day, I, I don't have breakfast until around 11 uh, ish. And, you know, when I do that, I, I have so much more energy cognitively. I just feel more clear so right. I can actually, you know, function a little bit better. I can get a lot more work done. Um, usually when I'm in a fasted state, whereas if I get up and have breakfast right away, um, I feel a little bit more sluggish, a little bit more slow. Now, I don't know if there's any, uh, if you have any research or theoretical um, discussion on, does insulin actually impede your cognitive performance in any way? Do we know this or performance, I guess, in the gym? Is this something that's established or what are your thoughts? So insulin and ketones work on this teeter-totter fashion, right? If your insulin is higher, your ketones are lower. And if your insulin is lower, your ketones are higher, right? So there's, there's that. There, this is a direct sort of relationship. And higher ketone just means that you're in a higher fat burning state. And so your energy is, is higher. There is a definite brain fog that happens when you're digesting food, right? Mm -hmm. you're, 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 everything is directed towards your, your GI system and, and what's going on in there. So it's going to take a lot of, of the energy and focus away from, from the brain. So a lot of people do go into a low-carb diet or intermittent fasting because of constant brain fog. Okay, for sure. And this is what I think what people fear if they don't eat, they think they're just going to fall over. But really, if you don't eat, you're going to become a lot more alert because now you have to hunt, right? You're in hunting mode. This is what we call it. It's completely normal that you think about food when you're in that state, right? Because you're supposed to look for food and feed your family, but you're not dying. You're not falling over. You're definitely not lacking energy. Okay, you're in a lower insulin, higher energy state. Okay when you're fasting, even for shorter periods of time. It's very beneficial. I actually, uh, myself, follow shorter fasts more consistently, sort of like what you're saying, Kyle. I probably have a meal, most days two meals a day, uh, one between 10 and 11 and one at about five, which is the time that my kids eat dinner, so it makes total sense. But I do have a lot of uh, alternate day intermittent fasting periods. So sometimes I have one meal, uh, mid afternoon, sometime around two or three. So this is this is my own uh, sort of schedule that's worked out really well for me. I do have a pretty consistent sort of history of metabolic syndrome. So this for me makes a lot of sense. It might not make sense mm -hmm. for other 
people, but this is what I follow. One of the things I tell uh, some of my clients is to to almost embrace hunger. Hunger is is it's not a bad thing. I know you feel like you're starving, but you're not even close to actual starvation. Like you're you're days and days and hours away from starvation. So it's more of like a that hunger that you feel after you know two hours or three hours after your last meal. It's more of like a mind trick than anything. Mm-hmm. You're not actually hungry. You're not actually starving like you feel. So it's something that really, I think you just need to embrace and, mm-hmm. and allow it to happen because there's going to be some benefits to it. It depends on a lot of things though. It depends on what you eat. If you eat a higher carb, uh, more processed uh, carb diet, yeah. it is natural because of the high insulin response post meal. It is natural that you get this peak and then you get this low, the rebound hypoglycemia. The rebound hypoglycemia, meaning that your blood sugars go so high when you eat, you produce so much insulin, that then within an hour or two, you get this low, low. And that's how I started in my journey. So I didn't start, um, unfortunately, or you know, my, my genetics, I was never obese. I was never overweight. If anything, I was underweight. Um, and I started with rebound hypoglycemia. But the rebound hypoglycemia, meaning that I was always shaking always shaking and I always needed to eat every hour or two and I was so thin so that it made total sense that I would eat every hour or two and ever more and more sugar right because if you're hypoglycemic you're constantly looking for more sugar so this hyperinsulinemic so this high insulin state led to frequent bouts of low blood sugars but this high insulin this constant high insulin leads to insulin resistance so Mm -hmm. I went from that to being pre-diabetic and eventually I would have become diabetic had I not, you know, uh, sort of other things got in the way, like associated conditions. I had uh, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is an insulin resistant condition, which also leads to diabetes. I had hypertension. And as I said earlier, infertility r- related to this insulin resistant situation. So insulin has many functions. It is a metabolic endocrine hormone, but it has reproductive functions. It has... Um, uh, nervous system function, so it affects mood. There's so much that we don't even probably know, but there's a lot in si- in the science part of. If you were to, to delve deeper into insulin, you would see how many different functions insulin has. Yeah, it's a very important hormone to control. And now, from what you've explained, if you're someone who eats a higher carb or processed food or fast food type diet, you're likely going to struggle with fasting, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So that's what I was trying to get at. And I kind of went on a tangent there. Thanks for bringing that. So as your insulin gets higher and then you get that low, you're much more likely to need to or feel like you need to eat more often. So it's a constant struggle. So even if you want to fast longer, you, you will have a very hard time. I personally, the way that I was able to establish these main meals, because I was a grazer, right? Because of this rebound hypoglycemia, um, it started with just tendency towards sweeter foods always since since I was uh, little. I never ate a regular meal. I always ate uh, anything that was carb, any sugar, any carb, never meat, never vegetables, ever. Um, and so it was a, con- it, it, you know, one thing, it's sort of that snowball effect, right? So then I needed to eat all the time, not only because I wanted to eat sugar all the time, but because I had that rebound hypoglycemia. So high, high insulin, fasting completely out of the question. I could have never fasted. Uh, not even between meals, never mind longer fast. So for me, the key thing was changing my diet, which was very hard. Very hard to, uh, for somebody who's a complete carb addict um, to to change your diet. And so that's important to to address too, right? Because 
you don't, um, if your insulin is real high, the last thing that you want to eat is a piece of steak or, or a vegetable. Okay. You want, <laughs> sugar. <laughs> you, you speak to any diabetic and they will tell you they don't want to eat food. They want to eat candies and, and, and chocolate. And because this is what your body craves. It's a, it's a, it's a, it is a struggle. So for me, what I did is I really just worked on that, changing my diet. So I treated it as medicine. Okay. It's not like I was, uh, I, I had a major interest in, in eating those foods, but I, I, I tried it as a treatment plan. First of all, I had a lot of motivation. I wanted a child. So that in itself is more motivation than anything. So that's what happened. I took it as medicine. I had already done the fertility treatment round, which didn't work. So now I needed to try something else. So once you start to change your diet and your insulin goes down, your food cravings change. Mm. And the time between meals is a lot easier. So that's, that's what we work on. So again, three, three things, how often you eat, what time you eat, and what you eat. So the, the second thing, what time you eat. People who tend to eat later will have higher insulin, so we'll have a desire to eat more often. Mm -hmm. So that's something to work on as well. Yeah, I think it's important to look at, um, you know, eat a meal and see how long it takes for you to get hunger again. If it's two hours, then you're definitely... You know, in right. that sugar burning phase, likely, you know, spiking insulin and then insulin crashing. So kind of be mindful of that and see what happens if you eat a meal and you can go four or five hours without, you know, craving food or getting super hungry, then you're probably in a much better state. Um, sure. And that's going to allow you to be successful at fasting. So um, something to just kind of play around with and see so that you can kind of understand your body a little bit more. Now, on the, on the topic of fasting, I want to get into more long-term fasting. We've talked about sort of intermittent fasting and then just sort of fasting in between meals. Um, but before we get into the long-term stuff, because I think that's quite interesting and I've never done it, so I'm excited to learn more about it. Mm -hmm. um, a big thing that's come up is bulletproof coffee. So putting grass-fed butter or coconut oil and MCT oil in your coffee while you're fasting. Do we know yet, does this still keep you in a fast at all? Um, or how does this play a role? So the, the, the question, the, <laughs> does it break your fast is the most common question. Does, yeah. does so-and-so break your, does A, B, C, D, E break your fast? Yes. <laughs> okay. That's the simple answer. Because if by breaking your fast, you're talking about what we were talking about earlier, autophagy, we believe that all nutrients will uh, it stop autophagy. Well, okay. Right? This is what, how quickly you'll go into autophagy after probably depends on what the nutrient was. All right. So this to say that it doesn't mean that you can't fast with fasting aids. And that's what bulletproof coffees are. Bone broth, bulletproof coffee. These are what we call fasting aids to a certain uh, extent. What you want is to have something that will maybe... Uh, aid you in fasting a bit longer. Okay. Even if while you are consumed, while your body is metabolizing it, you have been kicked out of autophagy. That's very likely. Um, and this is why you hear more and more of people doing water fasts, right? They do water only for their fast. It might be shorter fasts or longer fasts, but they're looking for that benefit of autophagy that you were talking about before. And they don't want anything that might get in the way of that. Possibly coffee might inhibit autophagy, black coffee. So yeah. this, is, this is something that people are, well, we don't know for sure. Uh, maybe some people know for sure. I don't know for sure. Okay. So that's part of it. But now how much is too much when you're fasting? 
right? How much of these fasting aids can you have? How many bulletproof coffees can you have in a, in a fasting uh, period? How many bone broths can you have? That, of course, depends on the fasting period, but it also depends on whether your body is going to go into starvation mode. Meaning, is your body going to perceive that it's in a fasted state? And if it is in a fasted state, meaning that lower insulin, higher ketogenic state, it's going to go into a fat burning state. It's like an all-you-can-eat buffet. As long as you let your body fast, your body's going to go and get from your reserves, whether initially it goes to the glycogen stores, right, your sugar stores, and eventually if you fast long enough, it's forced to go into your fat stores. That's your all-you-can-eat buffet, as long as you have fat stores. Not everybody has enough fat stores to fast longer. But as long as you do, your body will go into that fat-burning, high-energy, all-you-can-eat buffet, all right? But now, if you, if you are fasting, and yet you utilize a little too many fasting aids, and really, this could be bulletproof coffees, bone broth. Some people fast with uh, juices and other things, which is, is really, to me, is uh, a little uh, counterintuitive because if yeah. you're fasting with juices, you're in constantly in a high insulin state. So that's, mm. you can't consider that a fast. <laughs> but I think a, a lot of times, again, because of influences of industries, people have been told that this is a fast. So let's say you do have a bulletproof coffee. Likely a bu one bulletproof coffee is, is not going to get you into a starvation state where your body's just going to sustain on that. Uh, on that amount of nutrients. But if you have two or three bulletproof coffees in, in one fasting day, and keeping in mind that bulletproof coffees, grass-fed butter, coconut oil, these are great nutrients, but they are a high fat, well, they're fats. And so one gram of fat has nine calories. It's a high calorie nutrient. And even though we don't want to base anything on calories, we want to base everything on insulin, you don't want your body to, to sustain itself on enough calories, meaning you're trying to fast, but really you're starving. You're just sustaining on this amount of calories. So you really have to keep your fasting aids to a limit. Okay. And it does depend on what it is. Mm -hmm. And the other one I've heard about is people fasting without water too. Is this something you've experimented with or, or you've seen? Because I've seen the, like, the water fast. Is that? I've seen tons of it because culturally, some cultures fast dry. Mm -hmm. um, Clinically, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> so I, wouldn't, I would never um, help somebody through a dry fast. Really? What, any reason for that? Because they're likely to dehydrate. And that's probably one of the biggest, uh, biggest and you know, my only real concern with fasting is that people dehydrate. Um, okay. Not that they starve. Because again, you probably won't starve for a long, long, long time uh, if you have uh, fat, enough fat stores. And there's been clinical uh, uh, documented uh, fasts, extended fasts with proper medical supervision. And that's the other thing. IDM doesn't support people through extended fasts without medical supervision. So whenever somebody wants to do an extended fast with us, we, we ask them to pay their doctor a visit and get proper medical supervision. And that works out great because they will check their electrolytes and their hydration status. We will guide them through uh, how to hydrate properly, at least for the first few days. If they want to go longer, then they need to get their doctor to help them with mm -hmm. uh, proper electrolyte supplementation if necessary. But usually people stay within a shorter fast as long as they're well hydrated. And if they start to become dehydrated, we ask that they break their fast. The idea is that you do shorter fast more often. And sometimes, yeah. clearly some people would benefit from doing extended fasting. And with the proper guidance and supervision, it would make sense. 
Mm-hmm. Now I've seen, uh, I, I've never tried a long-term fast. So, you know, anything like 24 hours or anything like that, but I have, I have spoken to some people and, and seen some people talking about doing, you know, a 24 hour fast, let's say once a month or every couple months. And it's, it's supposed to have some good benefit. Is there a big difference between doing a, you know, a very long-term fast, let's say 24, 48 hours versus kind of intermittent fasting daily? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are your thoughts there? That's, it's funny. That's, it's all of our perspective, right? So uh, <laughs> I don't think uh, that we consider or most of our clients would consider a 24-hour fast a long fast. Uh, okay. I won't scare you, but, but and as I said, and anyone who does a longer fast, uh, we ask for proper medical supervision. But I, I do think that there is some benefit to doing some of the fast that you're talking about. So what's a long-term fast for you? Sorry, I just want to know. uh, What am I comfortable following people with? Our general protocol is that we follow people through uh, five, seven-day fasts with proper proper guidance. Um, But most people are doing an alternate day fast, okay, or building towards an alternate day fast. For sure, people start with a 16-8, and that's what we call eating days. We don't call those fasting days. And then we do alternate day fasts, which might be a 24-hour alternate day, what we don't want is to see people doing one meal a day all the time, okay? Like mm-hmm. constant OMAD, as they call it. Not very supportive of that. It might work for some. It doesn't seem to work with people with metabolic syndrome wanting to lose a whole bunch of weight or uh, have uh, metabolic uh, dysfunction. Um, it might work for people that are in maintenance mode or trying to achieve other things, like maybe somebody like you who maybe is trying to get more of a workout benefit or you know, and so on and so forth, trying to reach autophagy. So that might be it. I do a lot of 24 hour fasts myself. And really, it's only because I'm not, uh, I'm not the best at doing longer fasts, but I'll prep for a longer fast. I do a three day fast once a month. So see, perspective again, which is super short. I'm like, I'm like the, the, I don't even know what you want to call it of my, of my peaks, but (laughs) my husband, my husband's very first fast was a super long fast. And we were lucky enough to have proper medical supervision because of who I worked with, of course. Uh, but his very first fast was a 12-day fast. Nobody told wow. him to do a 12-day fast. It was just what he wanted to do. And he's done many, many, 10-day, 8-day, 5-day, many, many, many fasts uh, after that. And so have a lot of, of our patients with, again, it has to fit the the... As I guess the clinical profile and it has to be properly guided and monitored. Who, who's someone that would benefit that? I mean, I'm sure we would all benefit for a long-term fast, but who are the typical type of patients that would be doing these, you know, five, seven day type fast? Is it those with like autoimmune conditions and things like that? Is that where there's a, a big benefit with this? You know, you're, you're right that maybe people with autoimmune with chronic inflammation for sure, because there is a direct, uh, relationship between insulin and and inflammatory factors but that's not what we usually it it isn't at least the bulk of our population of our patients the bulk of our patients are uh, either morbidly obese or severe type 2 diabetics insulin dependent type 2 diabetics so these are the people that and and dr fung jason fung one of his books is called the complete guide to fasting and i believe that it's in the complete guide to fasting that uh, enough people have quoted this to me that I know. I should even know the page. Uh, or they're like, well, Dr. Fung says that if you're morbidly obese like me, I should really just start with a 7 to 14 day fast. And I'm like, whoa, Nelly, let's keep it down. Let's let's start with, you know, build up. And, and if you do want to go that long, we'll have a chat with your doctor and see what we can do sort of thing. But it is true that in a proper supervised clinical setting, 
those are the people that would benefit the most. You know, if the problem is insulin, and again, this is a direct Jason Fung quote, if the problem is insulin, then the solution is to lower insulin. Nothing is going to lower your insulin more than fasting. Makes complete sense. Um, I don't really have any more questions on fasting, but I want to know if there's anything that we've missed in this discussion that you think is important to, to explain to others who are listening so that they can understand fasting a little bit more or understand how to actually get into fasting and, and start kind of you know, implementing it in their nutritional practices? Uh, you know, I, I, I started with a low-carb diet, and I think a low-carb diet, a proper low-carb, moderate-protein, healthy-fat diet is a great adjunct to this, okay? It's, it's, a, it's maybe the missing link for a lot of people that can't fast is they need to first look at their diet, okay? Although fasting seems to be the thing that comes the easiest for people once they get into it. A lot easier sometimes to, to fast than it is to choose uh, the right foods in this in this type of environment that we live in anyway. But the the, the two together, they're they're partners in crime. I think fasting and the low low carb, moderate protein, higher healthy fat diet. And so that's the one thing we probably didn't talk enough about. But uh, we do also we're not a ketogenic or or a specific program, uh, but we do encourage people to. Know, eat a lower carb, healthier, uh, whole food diet, and we yeah. will train you and, and provide resources and, and uh, coaching in that as well. But we are a fasting program. Aside from that, uh, there are a million YouTube—not a million—but there's lots of YouTube yeah. videos, lots of free uh, information. Our, our our IDM program, Dr. Fung and Megan write uh, a weekly blog, sometimes more than once a week, and it's all information. Basically, all of there's three books, as I said, already out that Dr. Fung has written The Obesity Code, The Complete Guide to Fasting, The Diabetes Code. And basically, they talk about insulin. And then there's a practical guide that kind of goes into how to do this, right? Um, but the, the weekly blog, uh, I find it funny. But what, what Jason does is he basically publishes every chapter in his book and in, in the blog. So all the information is there for free. Anyone, and, and that's, of course, we have lots of clients. Our clinic had lots of patients. Uh, when I came into the clinic, you know, Megan was like, great, here's a whole room full of files. Now contact all these people because I can't do it. And that was great for me. You know, I was so hungry to, to do that. Uh, but really, the bulk of the people that have been helped through IDM are people that have done it for free. Mm -hmm. And so the, the, the program itself, it's all online, is it? And is it available to everyone worldwide or, or who exactly is it available to? Yeah, it's an online dietary program. We have calls through Zoom, just like you do. We also do Zoom. <laughs> uh, they're group calls. Um, and I have patients, clients now. I no longer have patients. I used to have patients in clinic, but I have clients all over the world. So I currently live in Europe. I moved from Toronto a couple of months ago. Um, the, the bulk of my clients are in North America, Australia, England. I have uh, quite a few in South America, uh, Asia, for sure. So they're just all over. It's, it's a matter of finding a group that fits your time zone. Cool. That's awesome. Okay, well, listen, thank you so much for, for coming on here and, and sharing uh, the, the science of fasting. I think we read a lot of, of blogs or things on social media that tell us, uh, you know, all these exaggerated um, 
you know, things about fasting. So it's nice to kind of dial it back a little bit and hear what do we actually know? What does the science actually say? Uh, so I appreciate you doing that. And, and, you know, we appreciate, you know, your program and everything you guys are doing to help others sort of learn to, to embrace fasting and embracing hunger. So again, thank you for, for joining me and uh, I wish you all the best. My pleasure. I loved it. Thank you. Awesome. That's a wrap. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to check out our new ebook, So You Want to Eat Healthy. You can find it at the link healthsimpleinfo.com slash eat dash healthy or in the show notes below. If you enjoyed this episode or have any comments or questions, feel free to leave us a review or hit us up on Instagram. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Have a great day.